It seems that the 90s were the heyday of the product contest system. You know, the McDonald's Monopoly game or the win a million dollars if you find the right bottle cap style of advertising campaign. Specifically, Pepsi ran a number of these. You might even remember some of them, like Pepsi Points, whose motto was Drink Pepsi, Get Stuff. Well, there is an underbelly to some of these games, ranging from angry customers suing to demand prizes that they would never get, to people actually killing each other over Pepsi Points. It occurs to me that the Pepsi Corporation will now never sponsor this podcast, but join us anyways as we delve into Pepsi Madness. listening to Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia, episode 38, Pepsi Madness. Okay, for today's getting to know you question, I want to know, Tyler, have you ever won anything? Are you like, and follow-up question, are you the type of person who wins like a lot of stuff? I feel like that's a thing. There are some people who are always like winning things. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. And my immediate answer to the question is no, I have never won anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which actually I'm about to to contradict that. But no, when I was younger, I always thought of myself as someone who had like really bad luck. (laughs) I remember we play uh, bingo in school. Yeah. And I remember being like, I have never won a game of bingo before. Like, there's no reason why I shouldn't be winning any less <laughs> than other people. Statistics. But I never, I had never won a game of bingo. And that still might be true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I've ever won a game of bingo. But I have won something, uh, which was pretty cool, actually. When I was 10 years old, watching Saturday morning cartoons and the cartoons on Fox, they had this giveaway for tickets to go see the movie Anastasia in theaters. Okay, yeah. I was like, oh, I want to go to that. And so you had to call in, and if you were like the 100th caller or whatever, you would get the tickets. And I called, and I won the 100th place, and we got tickets. (laughs) And I remember, like, with the phone, like, running to my mom and being like, Mom, Mom, like, they're going to give us tickets, but I don't know what to do. (laughs) And she's like, what are you talking? about and (laughs) then picked up the phone and that's how we got to see Anastasia that is a very gloriously 90s experience isn't that fun yeah and I don't even know if they do giveaways like that anymore so kind of a little time capsule there that's awesome um I also feel like I don't win things and then that's in contrast to my little brother who would tell you he says he says I win stuff all the time like Anytime there's like a contest or a drawing, it's always him. He's hey, isn't that because he said but yeah, right? <laughs> He's predestined. Chance on his side. Um, <laughs> but the one time that I can remember winning something, I actually went with him. It was to like this outdoor store, like a camping store, and they were having like a New Year's thing or like a something. And if you went, like any, everybody who went in got their name put in a bucket and then they were having like games. And so like if you can make a basketball on this little mini hoop, you win like a tent or something. And we went in and he might have won something, but I won like three things that night. I made a basketball in a hoop or something, ah. a beanbag in a hole, and which is very out of character. And I won like a tent. And that was like the one day he didn't ever, he didn't win anything. And I came home with all these great prizes. So that's pretty great. Yeah. Wasn't too no, bad. You know, I really think the, uh, the belief instilled that we don't win things. I think that's stayed with me. Like I won't buy lottery tickets because yeah. I know in my head, like I'm not going to win that. <laughs> I don't win stuff. I mean, and the odds would really be against me for the lottery anyways, but sure. I'm like, yeah. nope, it's not meant to be. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is perception. Like, if you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm the guy who wins stuff. You just remember the times yeah. you win. And since I feel like I don't win things, I just block out the few times I win a couple yeah, things. Yeah, it's confirmation bias, right? Yeah. yeah. Very, that seems very possible. But, um, yeah, that's the only time I can think that I ever won anything. But I think I'd honestly take Anastasia tickets. Hey, it was pretty awesome. And you know, that movie is great. Oh, yeah, definitely. I remember 
feeling like I was on cloud nine. I was like, I got to see the coolest movie and it was all my doing. My parents didn't even buy the tickets. Oh man. I felt pretty proud. I mean, and any- to, any of, to any of my siblings listening, I hope you all got to attend, but I actually don't remember how many tickets they gave us. So it's possible that my younger sisters didn't get to go. Oh, that's great. Um, I say any animated movie where there's a czar is a win. There are far, <laughs> far too few uh, czars in kids' movies these days. Right, uh, Bolshevik Revolution yeah. movies. Disney has not figured that formula out just yet. Yeah, May, uh, make make Disney Bolshevik again, says me. <laughs> Amen. Well, speaking of winning things, our topic today is going to be Pepsi Madness, which has to do with some promotions that Pepsi has ran through the years and some of the um, the ways that they've backfired or gone sideways a little bit. The first one we're going to talk about is something that all first-year law students will have heard of. I was actually this uh, weekend reminiscing with a cousin who's in law school about this case. Um, He's like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it's Leonard v. PepsiCo. So to set the scene for the what ended up in the courts as the case of Leonard versus PepsiCo, it was the year 2000. So I would have been 10 years old. living my living my little life in eager Arizona, going to swim at the swimming pool. Um, and in American culture at the time, so the top movies, we're talking Gladiator with Russell Crowe, Castaway with Tom Hanks, Mission Impossible 2. Uh, the best picture that year was American Beauty and the best um, at the Oscars and the best um, actor also went to Kevin Spacey from that, um, movie American Beauty, Scandal Noted. Scandal. And, <laughs> very noted. Um, and the songs you would have heard on the radio in the year 2000 were, would have been Smooth by Santana. Great, um, great every, <laughs> Everything You Want by Vertical Horizon and Say My Name, Say My Name, <laughs> The Destiny's Child. And the best-selling book would have been Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So... Um, picture yourself driving down the road, listening to some Destiny's Child on the way to the theater to um, go see Castaway. And you might and have... And by the way, internally, um, a little bit terrified that the world was going to end, right? Yeah, right. We yeah, the, the, uh, computers were going to break. Well, I guess it, since it was the year 2000, we had just gotten over that. Oh, you're right. That would have been it was, Yeah, it was the 99 mm-hmm. to 2000 tradition so, uh, t- transition. We were feeling on top of the world. We had just conquered the apocalypse. Yep, and we were, and it's this is also a pre nine eleven world. Pre- so you could have, mm-hmm. yeah, you could have accompanied your family right up to the airplane at the airport, and <laughs> yeah, shoes on and all that fun stuff. Um, what a time to be alive! I know, I know, and so that's that's your life. You're you know you're on your way home from having seen um, Gladiator at the theater. And if you were to turn on your TV, you very likely could have seen a commercial on TV, um, a Pepsi commercial. I was going to play the audio for it, but unfortunately, a lot of it's um, done in text written on the screen, so it wouldn't really translate. But there's um, a cool looking teenage kid with, you know, very year 2000 kind of long hair. He's walking through his house and he puts on his super cool sunglasses as he's coming down the stairs. And at the bottom of the screen flashes um, Pepsi sunglasses. 500 points and then as he heads out the door you know he grabs a piece of toast and heads out the door to school throws on a cool leather jacket and it says pepsi brand branded leather jacket 2500 points and then he hops on his skateboard i think and it you know you can the pep you can win a pepsi skateboard which i imagine if you had all three of those in the year 2000 you would have been some sort of god and um (laughs) and then he this um kid you see the school and there's all these um students milling around the school and they're all looking at this booklet like a pepsi magazine with other goodies and prizes in it and they're all talking about it and then from the sky descends a fighter jet a harrier jet and harrier jets are the ones that can land straight down so like it zooms around and then it goes and kind of settles down like a spaceship 
So a big Harrier jet settles on the front lawn of this school and, you know, blows everybody's um, grungy hair back. And, and um, then at the bottom of the screen flashes um, Harrier jet, 7 million points. <laughs> and he, the, the kid opens the cockpit of the jet and he says, sure beats taking the bus. And then it says, <laughs> it says, uh, Pepsi, drink Pepsi, win stuff. And that's the end of the commercial. So most people saw this and, you know, teenagers were like, I could use those sunglasses. But there was one person um, who saw it and thought, I wonder how serious they are about this, um, about this jet business. So um, this man, Leonard, decides he was a business, um, a business student at the time, kind of a savvy dude. And he said, um, he, he got the rule book and he read and what he read was that you have to win um, or you have to, yeah, you have to collect 15 of the points, at least 15 points by purchasing Pepsi products. But... Um, you can also buy Pepsi points, 10 points for a dollar. And um, so 10 cents a point. And so he did the math and he realized, okay, if I get 15 um, points, you know, by going and buying a six pack or whatever that's going to take. And then if I pay 10 cents a point for the remaining basically 7 million points, um, that's going to cost me about $700,000 which is, a, is and was a lot of money. But a Harrier jet costs, you know, 20 something million dollars. And so he did this math and he, he, um, submit, he gathered the money. He raised it through various means, mostly I think like family, friends and just his own personal fortune. I think he might've gotten a small loan and he wrote a check for $700,000 um, include um, $708.50 um, along with his 15 existing points. He paid a $10 shipping and handling fee and he sent a very nice letter to the, uh, to the people and said, um, if you'd be so kind, I'd really like my jet, please. And that, <laughs> um, that didn't go so well. Um, Mr. Leonard... Um, in his jet, he on so he filled out the um, the order form and he wrote the words "one Harrier jet" written in the item description. He had the check and everything. Um, Pepsi got the order, and of course, they sent the check back. Um, and they said a Harrier jet was not actually part of the offer. It's not in the prize catalog. Um, you know, you're taking the commercial um, wrong, and they apologize for any misunderstanding. And that's when Mr. Leonard got his lawyers involved. And, oh, um, and he sent this letter and he said, your, um, your letter is totally unacceptable. We've reviewed the videotape of the Pepsi stuff commercial. It clearly offers the new Harrier jet for 7 million points. Um, we followed the rules explicitly. This is a formal demand that you honor your commitment and make immediate arrangements to transfer the new Harrier jet to our client. So those will be the facts that a lot of, first-year law students will be presented in a contracts class. And, um, and it'll actually be one of the first, and at least it was for me, one of the first cases we read before you really have any sort of foundation for, um, of contract law at all. So since that's probably about your position too, Tyler, let me just ask, I wanna hear your thoughts on it. So what do you think about this? What do you think about um, who should win or what, who you think won? Um, and what like potential problems do you see with him sending in the check and saying, jet, please. <laughs> I am flabbergasted by this. This is like the silliest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> what are you going to do with a Harrier jet? I'm looking at photos of the, I did not know what a Harrier jet was yeah. before now. Are these like, what are these for? Oh, this they're is for strange. army. Yeah, strictly military destructive <laughs> purposes. Yeah. It's not yeah, like a, like a private jet, right? It's not like a. It's uh, not a private jet that you can maybe ritz around to Las Vegas or whatever. I yeah. don't think that you could take this to an airport. They'd be no. like, that's dangerous. <clears throat> um, 
yeah, there's like there's a common sense rule that's being broken here. Like, you know, ninety nine percent of the people watching the commercial knew that the Harrier jet was not part of it. It's just mm-hmm. Pepsi, you know, putting a little whiz bang into the commercial for Zaz value, but no one would ever take it seriously. And definitely no one would ever think like I'm gonna buy seven million Pepsis and actually <laughs> that like i i don't think how many people do you think even read the rule book right did they get the rule book i i don't know but clearly this man is like so set on breaking the system that he probably didn't even want the harrier jet i'm now projecting and what is that called a straw man argument i'm straw manning here but um you know uh he's trying to break the system here and um while it may be technically yeah, the commercial did say 7 million points for Harrier Jet. It feels like the there's like a sense of foolishness that's kind of crept into the case. Well, you um, would make an excellent circuit court judge because that's essentially oh. what, what ended up happening um, with this case. And it's it remains controversial to this day. I encourage you to go watch the, um, the commercial. It's uh, Yes, on- I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's, you know a minute long or whatever and the best part is that all of the comments are law students (laughs) (laughs) and the top one is like um he should have gotten that jet like this guy was totally (laughs) (laughs) pepsi didn't even keep the money right they gave it back to him yeah they gave they gave it back yeah and so um but yeah that's that's essentially what the um what the the eventual ruling was and i should say that when we were talking about the year 2000 that's when the the ruling became final it, it had started a few years before but it all basically oh, okay. and he didn't get his jet in the year 2000 but yeah that was kind of um you you said something about there's a common it feels like there's a common sense rule being broken um don't tell anyone i said this but that's most of what law school is it's just like does this make logical sense and if not you probably can't do it would the average person feel this way right yeah Yeah. there's some some exceptions but like if it doesn't seem right then it probably isn't and one of the um, yeah one of the contract law principles that we're discussing here um it's very basic and it's the idea of an offer and an acceptance which is kind of generally required for there to be a contract um, and even deeper than that, what has to exist for there to be a contract is that there are multiple parties who are the language that gets used is they're of one mind or there's a meeting of the minds, mm-hmm. meaning everybody's kind of on board about what's going to happen. There's terms, you know, if you do this, I'll do this, or if you give me this, I'll give you that. And if you don't have that, then, um, you really probably haven't formed a contract and on law school exams or on the, on the, um, bar exam, that's one of the things you'll have to look out for is before you even analyze a contract, you have to say, well, was a contract even formed? Like, was there enough, Mm. was everybody on the same page enough that, that a binding agreement was created? Um, And you can, you can, um, you know, there's some obvious defenses against formation where you could say, I don't think a, a contract was actually formed here. So for instance, if a drunk person comes up to you in the bar, this is also a case you'll read. Um, in school and says, I want to sell you my, uh, my, my, you know, mountain cabin for $5. Um, and you're like, oh, okay. Or, or he comes up to you and says, hey, I want to buy your, your mansion for $5. And you're like, yeah, sure. Um, there's a number of things going on there that you might, you could point to and say, well, maybe everybody wasn't on the same page. If someone's drunk or has, is out mm-hmm. of, doesn't have capacity in some way, well, then you probably aren't actually making an agreement because you're not in agreement Um, in the same way a a child typically can't form contracts because they're deemed not to be sophisticated and, you know, um, old enough basically to understand what they're doing. Same with duress. You can't, you know, in the movies, you'll see that kind of stuff all the time where it's like, Mm. if you don't sign this contract, we're going to, we, you know, we've got your daughter in some other, in some room and it's like, okay, I'll sign. And that would never be you know be upheld and so there's all these reasons why a contract might not be created but there's also times where um you don't have two people sitting down at a table saying well if you'll give me ten thousand dollars i'll sell you this many you know um bales of hay Um, and an example is advertising so if if i open the newspaper and see you know that my local grocery store is selling you know avocados are on sale um 
I could hold them to that because they've advertised a, a product to me at a certain price. So advertisements are kind of in their own realm because um, it's called a unilateral contract, meaning it, both of us don't have to, I don't have to write a letter to um, Safeway saying, I accept your offer for 99 cents avocados mm -hmm. and expect me on the morrow. Um, they're kind of saying anyone who wants to come claim this can come claim it. And so that was the argument um, with Leonard B. PepsiCo was, hey, you put out the information, you said 7 million points and, um, you know, I want my jet. And it, it never came to pass. Like I said, it still gets debated. I remember in my first year contracts class, people were saying, Pepsi said 7 million points. They didn't include a little thing at the bottom. They didn't right. say just yeah. um, And so still slightly controversial. My favorite, um, my favorite part about this is after all of this happened, once it started, they started realizing, hey, this Leonard guy isn't kidding and he's probably going to take us to court. They pulled the commercial and redid it. Now, Tyler, if you were in that boardroom and you were there like, all right, we're going to pull the commercial and we have to change it. What, how would you change it to avoid this situation in the future? Add a little blurb at the bottom, right? Yeah. When Add a blurb. Say, yeah, like not legally binding or whatever. Yeah. Like this is obviously a joke. Add a blurb that says that. Um, yeah. Maybe just do a different commercial. This is my favorite detail. Pepsi people were like, this is ridiculous. They pulled the commercial and then just changed the number of points from 7 million. <laughs> To 70 million. <laughs> oh, that's kind of so, lowballing, honestly. Yeah, so like, they're like, man, this guy totally got us. And they couldn't have changed it to 70 billion or whatever. 700 trillion. Yeah, they just like upped it. I don't know. That just strikes me as so funny. Times like, 10. Yeah. I thought maybe they would switch it and be like, for 7 million points, you get a school bus. Something yeah, less right. attractive. Yeah, the, the, I guess that wouldn't really fit the vibe, but yeah. But how uh, funny! Yeah, so that's that's the story of how Pepsi really didn't think. I love that they didn't think it through twice, basically. Um, <laughs> but they kind of underestimated the. Uh, well, I don't know how else to say it, but kind of just like the jerkishness of this guy, because like you said, he probably doesn't want a jet. He probably knows deep in his heart that they were kidding, but he's like, hey, you made me an offer. I want my I'm jet. I'm sticking to it. I want my jet, right? Yeah. Well, you you brought up a great uh, point in the notes, and we have to talk about this, the, the 30 Rock scene that harkens back to this. Yep. I thought it was an element of 30 Rock's genius when I first saw it. Now I'm realizing it's just history. They pretty much copy-pasted. But well, there's that I mean, scene. The, yeah, there's a oh, 30 yeah. Rock scene for everything. There's a th there really is. I stand by that. There's a 30 Rock scene for everything. And in the scene, it's an old commercial that Jenna did for Surge Cola. I remember drinking that <laughs> as a kid. And they did Surge Points. And they're like, I got this cool jacket. I got this skateboard. And then Jenna walks in and says, for a million points, he got me. Yep. <laughs> and... Then I, I feel like the guy's name was probably Leonard. Some dude oh. named Leonard shows up 20 years later and he's like, I have a million surge points I've collected, all the caps. Yeah. And antics ensue. Yeah. Um, I, I love that it took him, yeah, 20, 30 years to finally get all of the, all of the points that he needed. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a direct reference to... Um, to Leonard, Definitely I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find the uh, the character's name. Oh, his oh, name's Terry. Terry, okay, but that's mind. a great one. Um, my other favorite part of um, of that episode is he. So Terry is from Arizona. Do you remember that detail? I don't remember that. <laughs> so he shows up and he says, "I want a million dollars." And the the joke of the episode is, or I want my um. I want my, with my million points, I, I want to, this actress is now my property. And the um, GE executive starts to negotiate with the guy and he says, well, this actress might've been worth that much in, uh, in 1995, but now, you know, her value has gone down drastically. 
And so he ends up offering the guy $2,000, which he accepts to the, to the actresses. Like she's all disappointed that he doesn't want her more than $2,000. And he then turns to her and he says, he's offering me $2,000 in Arizona. $2,000 will get you a castle and a pillowcase full of meth. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty fair, right? Yeah, pretty fair. Well, it's hard to believe that in the years before the Leonard versus PepsiCo incident, this was not the first time that Pepsi had run into issues with a marketing campaign and promises that could not be delivered. I can't even believe I'm saying this, (laughs) but (laughs) Pepsi has had a history here. Uh, But in order to get to what shall be known as the Pepsi number fever incident, let's rewind a little bit to the year 1992. At the time, I was a young two-year-old living as an only child with my parents in St. Louis. The glory days. The glory days, yeah. <laughs> I mean, glad Jeremy came along, but it was, it was a nice time. We had a home phone with a cord. We had a TV with rabbit ear antennas. And we had, I think it was a Mitsubishi Diamante that we drove. <laughs> I may be making that up. I'm going to have to ask dad to clarify. Um, My parents went shopping for their first computer and they got one that was, instead of five megabytes, they got a 10 megabyte computer thinking we're never going to fill 10 megabytes. (laughs) And they upgraded from a black and white screen to 16 shades of gray. I I honestly forgot to talk about like myopic of the past that computer screens haven't always been color. They have not, yeah. And I remember using those gray and, you know, those gray, gray, black and white screens, but man. Yeah, I mean, we're not the oldest people in the world, but I really do remember turning on my parents' computer and the screen was black and it said C colon yep. slash slash. That's what it said. Yep. If you wanted to do anything, you had to type it in. You know? yep. I remember that I knew just enough to get it to turn on so I could go do whatever little thing I wanted to do, typed in MDOS prompt. I remember that stuff. Oh, uh, that, that was a good time. We had like old games that we would play. And yeah, it's crazy to think about. I wonder, wonder if I could find those. now. And, and you're right that we're not the oldest people in the world. But when I talk about this stuff, sometimes it I really feel like feels I'm like... Barely <laughs> 31 years. Well, I, I know that my siblings didn't even have that experience. And we lived in the same house growing up, you know. Yep. But um, but yeah, I remember it was a, a game with letters on the keyboard. And it would show, like, a picture of ice cream. And the idea was you had to type I. Oh. And it was like a little, you know, learn your letters game. I, awesome. I had a great time playing that. And now I'm literate because of it. <laughs> In 1992, the top songs from the radio that year were End of the Road by Boys to Men, Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton, and Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Top movies at the box office were Aladdin, Basic Instinct, and a personal favorite of mine, A Few Good Men. I don't know if we've talked about that movie before, but I love that movie. It's an excellent movie, and I would argue, even as a lawyer, it's one of the few like courtroom it's the, it's the only courtroom movie one of the only courtroom movies you need to see there's a lot of them that like gets it yeah well, no, right it's, it's just really good so and like, it's realistic right legally i think it's i think it's pretty realistic um i haven't watched it with too fine of a of an eye since i've finished law school but it's just really good and there's a lot of really bad like legal movies oh, i feel yeah. like but this one very has... well acted jack nicholson good. at the top of his game Literally, yeah. And I think Tom Cruise fits a good role for the movie. Excellent. And yep. more. it's the kind of movie that you put it on, like not expecting to like it. And then halfway through, you're totally engrossed. Yep. And when it's over, you can't imagine watching anything else. Yep. You're just totally caught up in it. Yeah, it's a great movie. Top books for the year were The Pelican Brief by John Grisham. I have to say the movie there is not as good as A Few was, Good Men. I was going to say, speaking of legal movies, you can skip if you want. It's fine, but... You know. It's fine, right? Yeah, it's a little bit long. 
and Rising Sun by Michael Crichton, which I'm not familiar with, but there you go. So 1992, Pepsi Philippines comes along with a harebrained marketing idea. Not the only company that did these marketing ideas back then, by the way, not to pick on Pepsi, but they decided that they would print numbers in each of the bottle caps, numbers one to 999, Inside the caps of Pepsi, 7-Up, Mountain Dew, and Mirinda. We had Mirinda in Guatemala, didn't we? I think oh, I yeah. That was tasty yeah. stuff. Like an orange soda and maybe uh-huh. some other flavors. Yeah. Yeah. It was great stuff. Um, and then they would do lotteries with certain numbers. Like if you got a certain number, it was eligible to win prizes. Some of them were, they were all cash prizes. Some of them were as low as 100 pesos, which would be about four American dollars. But then some were as high as the grand prize, which was a million pesos, equivalent to about 40,000 American dollars. But to say that is a little bit misleading because what a million pesos really was, was the equivalent of about 23 years of earnings on the minimum wage in the Philippines at the time. So no small sum to be scoffed at. You know, $40,000 is one thing, but this is essentially like a retirement sum, you know? It's like $2,000 in Arizona. It's the same principle. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. I don't know if maybe it'll buy you a castle. Yeah, maybe. So Pepsi Philippines allocated about $2 million and equivalent to 50 million pesos as prize money for the whole campaign. And with that, that would have been about the same as like you could have 50 grand prizes. It's a lot of grand prizes. Uh, it would have been less than that because it wasn't all you know there were smaller amounts that people could win and everything but 50 no more that's totally maximum Hmm. the campaign was hugely successful i can't even believe these numbers here but it increased pepsi's market share from four percent to 25 percent all that's that's what you said dream right the dream yeah that's like unfathomable like market share typically if you're lucky is changing 0.01 percent from week to week we're not changing like all of a sudden 25 percent yeah and um over 50,000 prizes by the end of the campaign were redeemed 17 of those were grand prizes so 17 people walked away with the you know retirement sum which was i think pretty awesome um, until it went wrong, unfortunately. And that's where number 349 comes in. And I think this is sometimes known as the 349 incident. So Pepsi had a system of controlling the grand prize where they would print the numbers on all the caps, but they kept a pretty tight lid on um, which numbers they wanted to win. And they had decided that the number 349 was going to win. Yeah, tight lid, let's say with an asterisk. <laughs> And the tight lid, unfallible, was that they had a security code for confirmation. So there was just the the security code printed on there that said you've got the winning number and it's you know tied on the back end and everything. And only two caps had the number three forty nine to win at this particular time in the campaign. Unfortunately, due to a computer error, there were more caps printed with the winning number 349, but they weren't printed with the security code. And it was a lot more than two caps, unfortunately. It was 800,000 caps printed with the winning grand prize number 349. So I just did the math really fast. Did you have any guesses, any guesses about what the population of the Philippines was in 1992? Let's see, like five million? 65 million. 65 million, okay. Yeah, which means that if 800,000 grand prize winners went out in the Philippines, one in every 81 people <laughs> would have the winning. Was the grand prize winner. <laughs> oh boy. So Pepsi announces ding, ding, ding. If you have 349 on your cap, then you win the grand prize. And they are shocked to see thousands of people showing up at the PepsiCo facility with grand prize winning caps, all have 349, all expecting to get a grand prize. Again, remember, they had planned on only 50. They were met with thousands. In theory, it could have been 800,000 people. (laughs) 
So initially the company responded like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, your cap doesn't have a security code on it, so it can't be redeemed. But they realized that that was pretty sucky. And so they had an emergency meeting and they decided that if anyone had gotten one of the mistaken caps without the security code, then they would receive 500 pesos as a settlement payment and as like a gesture of apology and goodwill. Overall, that was going to cost Pepsi about $9 million to do that, that apology payment. Well, which that's like a lot more than the whole project was supposed to cost. Yeah, that's a lot of money and it would have gotten a lot of people fired for sure. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the... I can just picture like the meeting where they're like, whose idea was this? Was this Jerry? And it's like, <laughs> our market percent to 25%. Long live Jerry. And then <laughs> like a month later was like. Down with Jerry. And it's like, get Jerry. <laughs> get Jerry. Yeah, Jerry was probably so proud the next day, but didn't yeah. last. Yeah. So some people were okay with the settlement payment, but there were a lot of people who said, no, that's not going to cut it. They rejected the settlement offer and they formed a group called the 349 Alliance. They boycotted all Pepsi products. They organized protests outside the company office, as well as the Philippine government, question mark. I don't know why they were doing that, but maybe I'm not clued in on this fully. Yeah, maybe they thought they were embedded some way together. <laughs> yeah, it goes all the way to the top. Yeah. yeah. And the protests were largely peaceful. You know, they don't have any reason to get more upset than this. I mean, they expected their lifetime lottery winnings, essentially, but the protests were largely peaceful. Unfortunately, some of the protests were not peaceful. Uh, there were executives at Pepsi who received death threats. Three Pepsi employees were killed when a grenade was thrown into a warehouse. Oof. And a mother and child were also killed by a grenade thrown at a Pepsi truck. So some really horrible violence that ended up as a result. Um, also not clear who started the violence. There were accusations that it was the protesters who had gotten violent. There were other accusations that Maybe it was Pepsi themselves trying to undercut the boycott and the movement of the protesters. Oof. Maybe they were trying to incite the crowd. There was even accusations of companies who saw Pepsi in a moment of weakness and tried to capitalize on that. So speaking of some like John Grisham intrigue, those some are some dark theories. Them. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, some very dark theories. Yeah, like, yeah like, like again, in a Pepsi boardroom, they're like, look, we can probably make this go away if we just throw a grenade at a few of our own employees. Yeah, horrifying. Yeah, and make the protesters look really bad. I mean, I'm not saying Pepsi's above that, but it's like, geez, that's some pretty dark thinking. And same with rival bottle companies. Oh, 100%. And look at the victims that you've got here. Like a mother and child and three Pepsi employees working in the warehouse. These are not people who deserve to be in the line of fire here. It's very sad. Yeah. Uh, as if anybody deserves to be in a line of fire, but especially right. these people. So um, moving forward, a thousand legal action against Pepsi. For civil cases, there were even criminal charges that Pepsi had committed fraud and deception through this program. Um, some of the plaintiffs in you know, the local courts were awarded, you know, amounts like 10,000 pesos some plaintiffs appealed for more than that. And eventually the case went all the way to the Supreme Court in 2006. And there the buck stops and they said Pepsi had no responsibility to pay the amounts on the bottle caps. And they even said an interesting thing, which was that the incident with Pepsi in 349 has been put to rest and we would like not to disturb it. So it was like, you know what? this painful incident from 14 years ago should probably just be put, you know, put aside. Yeah. Um, That's, I mean, this is slightly tangential, but tangential, tan, what's that word? (laughs) Tangential? Is that two G's? Tangential? (laughs) Oh, that's Um, a weird yeah. Hmm. Anyway, um, but look at how long that took. Like you said, 2006. Took, yeah. That's, oh, at that point. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like, move past the year 2000. We have to come up with a new list of songs. 
Uh, 2006 would have been My Humps by Black Eyed Peas. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we were in we were getting driver's licenses in high school, and that started like <laughs> when we were in diapers. Yeah, yeah, literally crazy. Um, that's crazy. Um, well, yeah, that's kind of the other side of of this coin because the first one's sort of quirky, but that one's really sad. I mean, the fact that people lost their lives over this Pepsi bottle cap promotion um is really tragic <laughs> yeah but um do you remember these kind of things i remember specifically under the cap contests oh a hundred percent i yeah. feel like this was almost um almost pervasive enough to be predictable back then like yeah you know we grew up reading charlie and the chocolate factory which is from the 1970s or so but it's about this kind of marketing scheme right, right? Right. We saw that in practice. Do you remember the gray M&Ms? So I saw that you, I, I, you're going to have to remind me, it rings a bell, but just barely. Well, maybe I'm making this up, but I had a friend confirm it and she remembers it too. And we remember Rosie O'Donnell talking about it too on her talk show. <laughs> With the gray M&Ms, it was if you found a bag that either had one gray M&M in it or all gray M&Ms, then that was like the million dollar. Mm, like the golden and ticket. That was like the golden ticket and this guy wins and he goes on Rosie O'Donnell and Rosie O'Donnell says, well, it's a good thing you got it because when I eat M&Ms, I don't even look at them. I just throw them in my mouth. This <laughs> <laughs> is pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally promotions like this and the, the monopoly thing that McDonald's used to do. Um, mm hmm. And in general, there was always something under a bottle cap. My um, dad collected Coke points, I think, that they had on the Coke bottles. Yeah. I, they might even still do that. I'm not sure. But Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's kind of a clever thing that, yeah, was probably at its heyday um, at this point. And then I would imagine a lot of these contests, which still exist. I think Monopoly still, McDonald's. They still do that one. Yeah. But I'm sure they've really tightened down because of incidents like this um there's actually another one that doesn't really fit in this episode but is definitely worth reading and it's the wikipedia page is called the hoover free flights promotion and it was hoover like the vacuum company um in the united kingdom came up with this plan where it was like yeah if you buy um you know any customer who buys at least 100 pounds of our products gets two round trip plane tickets to the U S and they did not anticipate like the amount of people who would take them up on that. And they had, they had kind of thought about it. This was in, um, this was in the, around the same time in the nineties. And anyway, it did not go their way. People realized, well, we can just buy some of the, some a hundred pounds being the, uh, a measurement of currency or the weight. Yes. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, okay. Because it was in the UK. I mean, so, either yeah. way, it's like that's easy to spend on vacuums. Yeah, yeah, and so and that's exactly what people said, and they thought that they could like dissuade people because there was this really long like application you had to fill out or whatever. But anyway, it like bankrupted Hoover. Go read the page; it's really interesting. But yeah, Whoa. people companies get this backfiring on them, um, and I, I'm doing some googling, and yeah, there's a Baltimore Sun article from 1997 that says the gray M&Ms leave some people seeing red in the contests. Oh, I'm so glad you found that. Yep. And so it's a, it's a real thing. And it's funny that, that companies, you know, got, I don't know, you'd think that with a whole mechanism like this, they would think through this, but I guess you just, you know, sometimes things fall through the cracks and then you've got like this, you know, Jerry's head on a pike in the, in the board yeah. didn't go right. Sometimes those business decisions can be kind of hasty, but they haven't thought through every exit strategy. And unfortunately, as we see, these schemes can be kind of fragile. Yeah. You know, uh, I know that there's a whole story about, maybe we'll have to do this in a future episode, but I know that the McDonald's Monopoly one suffered a lot from like being rigged. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like in the case of Pepsi, if you can't promise everything that you've got that, or, you know, if you've got all these caps that have the winning amount on them, then it's going to make a lot of customers upset. And I think lose the goodwill that you were building. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
we already discussed a little bit about, you know, Leonard, should he have won? But I think it's also kind of an interesting question. Like, so what, what should have happened to these people? And then specifically now, I think that um, companies are a little more savvy. And if you watch even, I mean, anything that you watch, any commercial now, there's a million little messages at the bottom saying, mm -hmm. well, you have to, you know, subject to conditions and, and McDonald's reserves the right to change the rules at any time. And this is a professional driver. Do not attempt this stunt just because somebody might try it and then say, well, I saw it on the commercial. And um, I, as I watch those now, I have the thought, and I'm interested to hear what you think about this. I almost think that practically they're not necessary because it's now become, and I mean, they, this is evidenced by what happened to Mr. Leonard because the court at the time said this was clearly not an actual offer. There was actually not, there was no intention for them to give you a jet, which is a military weapon. Um, and so the, all those warnings now almost seem silly to me. Cause it's like, I think we're too, I think we're so savvy now that it's like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I couldn't get away with trying to call them out on this because we've seen those warnings for so long. Like, this is a professional driver. Do not attempt that if anybody mm -hmm. did, or like, let's say a commercial aired without a warning. I think it would be like, everybody knows at this point, it's just a part of the culture that like, you know, there's, there's going to be terms. There's, there's fine print somewhere that you have to go read. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, maybe you can tell me this, if this is a real legal principle, but we used to talk about this in, my law and economics class where um, the professor brought up the case of like, when you fill out an application for a credit card and you have this huge thing of documents to read and sign. Yep. And he's like, you know what? Like literally nobody can read and process all that information. Yep. It's really more a burden on the credit card company to explain why for some reason their agreement would be any weirder card company you know if they've thrown some little weird nugget in there saying give us all your money yeah no that doesn't fly it's not like the burden is on you to read all of the fine print and absolutely understand everything that's going on yeah that's that's true i remember discussing that the idea of like just like you said nobody's it would take like an actual contracts professor reading this whole thing to understand exactly what's happening yeah and even then um yeah like you said if there's kind of a more common sense approach or like you clearly hid this in here well that would be considered on some level unconscionable right like you you're not they would lose that fight they're not going to come to you and be like you didn't read this you know yeah yeah in most cases i think you're right it just um and that's kind of nice it's kind of nice that there's a little bit of there's a breeze of sanity blowing through the legal system oh it definitely made me feel safer because, you know, you're as an adult, you're yeah. thrown all these documents all the time for your car, yeah. for money stuff. And it's like, I don't know any of yeah. this, you know, yeah. I could and be signing my way here, but they've got to explain it to you. Yeah. And you yeah, you really should try and read things. But like you said, there's some stuff that you, you, good luck. It's just a little bit legalese, right? It's a little bit exactly. too above our comprehension. Oh. And it's not like you can say, well, I agree to all of these terms except for this. So Wells Fargo, could we redraft this contract and you like get back to me? Yeah. I don't agree <laughs> to only to only sue you in the state of Delaware if we ever go to trial. Like I want to <laughs> have other options. They're not going to do that. So you kind of just are stuck with what you're, you're stuck, just stuck with. with but, yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, are we too savvy? I, I don't know. Does all of the legal stuff ruin the fun here with these competitions <laughs> i don't think so right i mean does it uh yeah i mean i i think that there's definitely a difference between these two cases i kind of think that the filipino people had a better argument like this was a mistake that the people made you told me if i have this number in my hand then i've got it that one i'm a little less sympathetic to than the the leonard one who was you know, I think he kind of knew what he was up to. Um, or more sympathetic, you mean, to the the Filipino case? Yes, yes. I'm more yeah. sympathetic to them. Um, less sympathetic to Pepsi trying to deny them that yeah. money. I don't know. Um, but either way, maybe don't pin your whole 
life's hopes and dreams on a Pepsi promotion because it hasn't gone well in the past. It hasn't gone well in the past. I also think that uh, maybe this is just a personal choice, but I think that cash prizes is a bad idea. I just don't think, I mean, Mm. I don't know what it is about that, but it's like, people get intense about money. You know, if you tell them like, oh, you can't actually redeem it for that jacket, they're going to get over it. But yeah, if it's like, here's like a lifetime pile of money, then yeah, it's going to get crazy. Yeah. And you know, that's also an interesting question, like the ethics of offering a big pile of money to someone in a country where that a lot yeah yeah, like that's like a like a life-changing like people will kill for this amount of money yeah that seems uh, you know i hadn't thought of that as we were preparing this but that that does seem like maybe we should think about about that you know harrier jet is silly it's like funny no one really wants a harrier jet i mean maybe somebody does good for them but it's funny right but lottery amount of money it's like i would love to have that <laughs> and if i got a, if i got a bottle cap and read the winning number and saw that i'd be ecstatic and very yeah. upset that they couldn't fulfill yeah and it would be even harder than the leonard case because you you would have something you could go and like yes, put it uh-huh. in someone's face and say look it says i've got the right number um, yeah they're like well, you didn't have the secret security code well how yeah. many secret security codes do i need i have the yeah. winning number <laughs> yeah like, it says three yeah <laughs> that's um, the secret code <laughs> i'll show you secret security code um <laughs> and then apparently you go home to your grenade collection i guess and then yeah yeah um and maybe the ultimate takeaway from all of this is uh you should just drink dr pepper instead of Pepsi. oh good takeaway <laughs> i'm having some right now that's a very uh, good yeah. um as far as i know this should, that should be the next yeah that should be the next dr pepper commercial is um, Dr. Pepper, we have killed zero Filipinos. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Can you imagine? It's like a documentary about all of this. And yeah. Dr. Pepper, as what does it say in 30 Rock? Not poisoning rivers since 1995. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not, not starting grenade battles in Manila since 1992. Thanks for listening. If you want to say hi or suggest an episode topic, you can email us at raceandtylertalkwikipedia at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media profiles on our Race and Tyler accounts. Thanks for listening.